Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Dead boyfriend knocked on the door and she opened it and was like, uh, I'm sure. (laughs) Which is funny. That's what happened in Night of the Creeps from 1986. A film about a secret alien bioweapon that was left on Earth by a naked baby who stole it. A man-sized naked baby. Yeah, it was a large naked... Well, we don't know. There was no context other than the other naked babies. Maybe they were all just real small. Maybe the spaceship is very small. Yeah. So, there you go. However, it ended up in a guy in the 50s. He was frozen... Till the 80s, and then these kids really stupidly let him out, and his head exploded and shot slugs at people, and slugs kept getting into people and turning them into zombies. And that is the central conflict of the movie, man versus slug. Yes. Uh, If a slug leaps directly into your mouth, that is a bad thing. I thought you were going to give us suggestions, treatment ideas, but no, it's just, no, it's a bad thing. No, from this movie, it is clearly evident that you're going to die. Oh, yeah. So going back to the slang for a second, this movie had two distinct time periods in it. It did. One I mean, was black and white. Three, if you count the aliens, but I'm not sure. No, because they were, they were in the 50s. Okay. And in both... It was written in such a way that it was like painfully stereotypical of that time period. And and the 50s one clearly was because they were writing the stereotype of what the 50s was in the 80s. Yeah. Like it was very much, <laughs> it was like we were watching an episode of, you know, Happy Days or something, right? Sure. Yeah. But then the 80s part, I kept having to remind myself that this was an 80s movie made in the 80s. Right. And not people now making a movie about the 80s because it felt. Yeah, it felt ridiculous the whole time. That brings me to one of my ultra smart ideas. TM. Did you just trademark your ultra smart idea? No, Did the you whole just... concept of ultra smart ideas. That is very clever. Does that mean that anytime anyone has an <laughs> ultra smart idea, it belongs to you? I'm sure it does. I'm ultra smart, so. I like yeah. it. Okay, go on. I noticed in this movie extreme over the top stereotyping. Like, all the characters were the ultimate of what they were the two main super nerds up against all the jock frat boys and the sorority girls in their little skimpy outfits. And and the cop, wow, I wasn't even thinking of that one applying, but he had his whole thing going on. Yep. And the scientist, uh, his character name was Young Scientist. He was, he was the ultimate a, a scientist. Well-rounded individual. Yeah. Was this something that they used to do in movies around this time? Was it a was it a specific plan in order to kind of get a lot of characterization meat for free? Like you see this guy, he's the nerd, 
Now you know all these things about him. Mm -hmm. You're done. You don't have to do a bunch of character work. It's like they're saving a lot of effort and giving you a full story without all that extra. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. I definitely feel like that was storytelling in the 80s. Yeah. I don't know, though. It's tricky because from this vantage point, it's hard to say they were doing it on purpose. Like that, I don't know that I can get on board with that as opposed to that's just how they thought it. That's just what they thought was the the way to tell a story. And now, you know, 40 some years later, we're like, oh, no, there's a better way. Well, and the other aspect of it for this movie is that this movie was a kind of a parody of those college movies. I mm -hmm. mean, it wasn't exactly a parody. It was basically it took those college jocks versus nerds movies and combined it with alien invasion that's mm -hmm. what they were doing and so it was a comedy as well as sci-fi horror yeah and so maybe that was just you know part of the comedy is ha 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 such a nerd ha 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 such a jock it was very broad strokes comedy yeah for sure i don't know it's interesting to think about that whole idea though because now when you think about writing characters today we are very much in a reaction to that like we're we're very much reacting to that stereotypical all jocks are this way yeah. kind of thing. And so the whole idea now is to make your characters not stereotypes. And then it's difficult not to have people see your character and criticize them for being stereotypical, no matter how you do them. Because we've broadened those horizons yeah. enough that it's like, oh, you know, so so that's always, you know, women always do that or... I don't know. It, it's just interesting to think about how different storytelling is now. Yeah, I think there might be a, like a, a journey there from this kind of thing to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where they were taking the stereotypes and subverting them. Right. To now... Turning them exactly on their heads. Where they're just blowing it out and like, you can't assume anything about anyone. But then that creates its own mm -hmm. sort of stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I know I've mentioned this multiple times this month. It's going to continue to happen because this is the world's largest book full of the most information I have ever read in a single book. But I am still reading Stamp from the Beginning. Yeah, you are. And I just read a section about entertainment, and I believe it was talking about the 80s. It might have been talking about the 60s and 70s. I can't remember which section this was actually in, but was talking about the distinct difference between what the storyteller or the creative person is saying and what the audience interprets in mm -hmm. what they're seeing. And, you know, that's something we've talked about a lot in terms of there are movies that have misogynistic characters that have messages that uh, alternative messages you can take away. Or there's movies like the ones we did yesterday where it's like, oh, this is just misogyny on misogyny on misogyny. Yeah. So uh, I've distracted myself some. But my original point was like that you were talking about it's it's blown out to the point where you can't make assumptions. But then that causes problems, too. Like, yeah, no matter how broad minded creators try to become, I, I think it's important for them to remember that they have an audience 
that has preconceived notions and they has all do. right. They have all their own biases and and how many of those they have or how strongly they hold to them is going to influence how your creative work is interpreted. And I think that's important. I mean, I know that there are lots of people who don't, but I think that's important. Uh, yeah. The art is a compact between the viewer and the creator, and that's how it's interpreted. Right. I don't know. That was a pointless statement. <laughs> okay. So the one character in this movie who doesn't entirely stick to his stereotypical like character box is JC, the protagonist's best friend. And of all of them, he's the one who has the strongest character arc, I think. Like he starts out, I made notes about him and about how much, like I actually made the note, I hope he gets eaten by aliens. After like one of his first lines is they're walking across the campus lawn and he's like hey toots you know he's like being he's just being a jerk and i really didn't like him at the beginning that's an interesting bit of character because he has some sort of unknown cause for needing crutches which looks like genetic like cp or whatever he's got something where he needs crutches to help him walk all the time which i cool to have that as a main character in a movie and never really comment on it no, it was it was never discussed. Like it, it came into play a couple times. Like the bully, like knocked his crutches yeah. out from under him. And stuff. <laughs> made everybody very upset. <laughs> yes, sorority girl girlfriend broke up with him immediately. But otherwise, it was not relevant to the story. It was just this character happens to have. Wait, oh, that's what I was going to suggest. Okay. Is that this kid had a seething rage at the world. He hated everything and turned that into snark fuel. And it's a good theory. It's not proven in the text, but it's a good idea that he is mad at the world because he's had this disability all his life. And he's got a chip on his shoulder is what's going on. And but he expresses it in a like a, I don't know, friendly way. Like Mm. it's fun hatefulness. Yeah, he's very sarcastic and yeah. witty. I, I don't know. See, I think you're probably right. I was going to say, I think some of his confidence comes from, you know, this idea that he's always had to confront the fact that people are looking at him or people are, are questioning his right to be certain places or do certain things. And so he, he much more so than his friend is like, whatever, go talk to the girl, go do the yeah. thing. Like, why, what are you waiting for? Like, he has this courage to go out and do things, which may or may not, like, I don't know. It is never addressed. So I don't, that may just be his personality. I think if it was the snark thing, that falls into stereotype again. Yeah. That idea that somebody with a disability has to be angry at the world. Yeah. But I mean, he, he is kind of a typical character from these movies this guy who is so sarcastic about everything all the time yeah but it it did have like a a tinge of real a manic energy to it is what it was yes it was there was an edge and he definitely for whatever reason he definitely didn't seem to like people a whole lot yeah which i can totally understand hey that's fine but that being said, he started in such a place where I was like, ugh, I don't like this personality. And he ended being one of the major heroes of the movie. Like, he doesn't survive. Spoilers. He dies surprisingly early, actually. 
but he manages when nobody else did like he first of all is paying attention to what's going on he's like putting the pieces together so that when he's in a dangerous place and he knows he's about to be attacked by the these slugs like he sends a message to his friend explaining the things that he's learned he's like i know that fire they don't like fire they jump into your mouth like here are some key elements that you Mm -hmm. need to know to be able to defeat them and protect yourself and in the course of that he's also like very openly twice in the movie he not sarcastically tells his friend his guy friend i love you yeah in the 80s in the 80s (laughs) i was pleasantly shocked by that in this final recording that he leaves for his buddy he's very upfront about how he feels about him and you know that he's sad he's not going to see him anymore and you know that he loves him and i thought that was probably my favorite part of the whole movie (laughs) lines this guy said were a major part of the movie including my favorite line which i can't share but one one part was they were going through the morgue well, through some downstairs area looking for the morgue. Mm-hmm. No, his buddy is going, why isn't there a sign that says morgue over here? And JC's like, why would there be a sign? Like he's mocking the very <laughs> concept of having a sign that points where things are. Like was, They should have a sign. It was very strange. That was an odd reaction to that statement. But it was, again, it was sort of like his response to everything was to make fun of it, whether it was something that made sense or not. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it was an intentional character thing. So down there in the not morgue, because they miss the morgue, they don't make it there. They end up in this lab where the scientists are keeping this dude from the 1950s who is cryogenically frozen. Uh, JC described that as like freeze-dried coffee, a corpsicle. We're going to thaw him out like a TV dinner. He was having a lot of fun with that concept. Yeah. He liked to say lots of times over different (laughs) things. He was like the 1980s version of like a Judd Apatow movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or like Seth Rogen. (laughs) Yeah. I should do one more and then I'd have a series of three jokes. Yeah. He's like the 1980s version of your grandma. (laughs) So they end up in this lab with this corpsicle. And I think I was distracted by a kitten at that point. It's very possible. Because I don't remember how the corpsicle got out. I remember they were like randomly pushing some buttons and stuff. Yeah, he pushed the button. I think it was labeled disengage or something like that. It was a big red button. And he was looking around for stuff and he hit that. Opened it up and let the corpse out. That was a mistake. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if this is the incredible moment in movie making that it appeared to be, but it is possible that this movie features the very first use of the cranked middle finger, where you raise it up and rotate a crank in order to elevate the finger. And it's so successful that the people around her applaud. I I was applauding, too. Like, that was immediately after her jerk frat boyfriend. In my notes, I called him Frat Brad. Yeah, his name's the Bradster. It was immediately after the Bradster had knocked JC's crutches out from under him, Mm -hmm. and JC had gone, like, tumbling to the ground. 
So his sorority girl girlfriend was not okay with that. No. And that was her response. So I was impressed that that was her response in the first place, but also that the first ever crank middle finger was by a girl. Yeah. I'm proud of that. I mean, assuming it is the first ever, but sure. Hey, it's our podcast. It can be the first oh, ever if we say it. Oh, it's definitely first ever. <laughs> so I don't remember what the de- detective's name is. Miller. Oh. It's Miller time. Oh, that's why he said that. <laughs> Makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Uh, I just called him Detective Cranky in my notes yeah. because he was the most cantankerous character I have ever seen in a movie. He was an interesting fellow. He was a hard-boiled detective for sure. Also a murderer. He was the cartoon version of yeah. a hard-boiled detective. Yeah, he was. There was nothing noir about him. Well, no, I could definitely see a character like him belonging in a more ridiculous movie than this. Like It was almost like Pink Panther level yeah, ridiculousness. Like, he was the character who's so competent, it's ridiculous. Like, he, he mm. really didn't fully pull that off, but, but that was the idea. Like, he... You know, when confronted with this swarm of evil slugs, he's like spinning around, shooting everything, mm-hmm. setting it all on fire. And, you know, it's that never flustered mm-hmm. handle it all kind of thing, which is funny. But at the same time, he has that like underlying Hulk. Um, his secret is that he's always angry <laughs> yeah. kind of personality. Like he's just mad at everything. Yeah, he attempts suicide at one point during the movie. <laughs> yeah. Chris shows up and he has the, like, door taped up and the gas on in his oven. Yeah, so that was something. But stopping the slugs gave him a reason to live. Except it killed him. Well, you know. It gave him a reason to die as a hero. Yeah, that's true. Which was a redemption Mm -hmm. from the fact that he murdered someone in the 50s. Yeah, so he had this whole tie to the beginning part because... So when the aliens first... Like when their device first lands in the 50s, this frat guy, Johnny, is infected with the slugs. Like he's the guy that that is cryogenically frozen then. Yeah. His girlfriend, Pam, who happens to have lived in the same sorority room in the same sorority house that Cindy, the 1980s sorority girl, lives in. Pam simultaneously... And for no explained reason, is attacked by a, an axe-wielding escaped mental patient. Yeah, that's like a whole element to this story that was kind of there. Like, that's it. So, so Johnny gets attacked by the slugs, and Pam gets attacked by this escaped mental patient <laughs> serial such, killer. That's terrible luck. Right? At the same time. (laughs) Yeah. And out of revenge, because Pam, the girl, was his ex-girlfriend, this cop, who is very fresh at this point, murders the axe-wielding mental patient serial killer and And buries him. him. Yes. So that later he can be reanimated by slugs and attack people for a very small portion of the movie where he gets to attack them and then gets killed yes so it's like why did we bother i don't i don't even know like i don't understand what the serial killer was doing there because it would have been just as easy to have him kill johnny after johnny reanimated with slugs in his brain that's true although then johnny wouldn't have been cryogenically frozen yeah maybe just his head (laughs) 
it gives like a me a Futurama episode. Yeah, it gives me kind of a a thought about what they were trying to do with this movie because they've got the serial killer Mm -hmm. they have the aliens at the beginning of the movie which is the most useless scene in the movie they spent Mm -hmm. i'll say thousands of dollars making this alien spaceship set and having these weird alien baby outfits and running around the spaceship speaking in alien even more important than the money that they spent is how much time they spent because you know when you're making a movie time is important yeah that was like 10 minutes of maybe five minutes, but it was an extended scene. Yeah, it was a chunk of movie to give us an explanation for why these alien slugs exist, which we never needed. It didn't matter. Nope. But it was in there, and I think this is what I'm thinking about is, okay, aliens at the beginning, serial killer, the slugs, zombies, which is what people become when the slugs get in them. Yes, because the slugs only wanted to go for brains. Yeah, and then they would reanimate dead people including dead animals and you know have them Mm -hmm. run around and spit more slugs out of their brains that maybe they were kind of doing you know this is a an homage to all of horror we're throwing everything we can in there and that's the fun of it is that you get to see all this different stuff and we're throwing a little bit of like caddyshack level slapstick yeah it was definitely throwing the layer of college comedy on top of everything else so if that's the case, they did a very poor job of accomplishing that. Because if if I were doing that, then you would also need to have like a vampire of some kind. That would be cool. You would need to have like a Frankenstein's monster running around. <laughs> like there are so many other things that could have come into play at that point. Yeah, and it would really fit for Night of the Creeps. You know, just yeah. a bunch of random monsters. Huge coincidence, just like at the beginning of this movie. They just all happen to be in this town. Yeah. That could have been fun. Yeah, it could have been. I was struck by how many similarities there were between this movie and the movie we just watched, The Scare House, because of the sorority fraternity thing. Yeah. Like, there was a fraternity prank that goes bad. Like, these two guys are supposed to go get a cadaver from the morgue. That's why they were looking for the morgue. Because they were trying to pledge a frat. Right. And dump it on the, you know, front steps of some other frat. And that all went horribly awry. People died. And of course, the frat guys who told them to do it were like, we didn't have anything to do with this. That's true. Oh, there's a theme here to how fraternities and sororities work. Also in the sorority, lots of scantily clad women running around. Wow. Getting dressed. I mean, I feel like that's unavoidable. (laughs) There were scenes, though. I mean, if you have six women in the same place, it is unavoidable (laughs) that they all take off their clothes, put on their makeup, and do their hair in their underwear. There were scenes in this movie, though, that were just random for that purpose. Mm -hmm. Like, there was one where Cindy's in her room. She gets in from being out there in the world, and she puts on her nightgown. And there's just toplessness for absolutely no reason. Then later, there's a shot, a bunch of people in the shower, which I don't yep. think anything even happened. It just cut to that just and then cut back the to shower. more stuff happening outside. It was just like, don't forget, these women are vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It was, hey, we can get away with a couple more boob shots Yeah, and still maintain this rating. Throw them in. And I think that is, you know, they were trying to push that college frat house comedy angle. Yeah. And that's an important part. It is. It definitely is. Uh, so there's the happy ending at the end where Cindy and Chris the nerdy boy 
who has just lost his best friend. Cindy, who has just lost her boyfriend she broke up with yesterday. (laughs) And almost been attacked by him. These two have been through a significant amount of trauma. But as soon as the sorority house blows up and they're confident that the slugs are gone, they're making out on the front lawn. Yeah, this was a whirlwind romance is what this was. (laughs) There was really no good explanation for why she was into him at all. She was just like, I'm tired of frat guys. Come here, nerd. Yeah, I mean, he was a nice guy. He was good looking. I could see why somebody would be interested in him. but Loser. (laughs) But I don't know. I mean, I guess it was to point out that she wasn't wasn't like other girls, which is one of my least favorite tropes. Yeah. Yeah, it was a very strange relationship, but they ended up very happy at the end. Sure. Great. So technically this could be considered a romance. This is a rom-com horror movie. The bad news is that it's not over and the slugs were heading into the cemetery at the end. Well, I'm pretty sure that all horror movies in the 80s ended that way. Like, Uh, they, they had not yet expanded the way to end horror movies. It was, you think you've defeated it. But you haven't. Well, I mean, you got to have the option for a sequel. Well, I think, yes, there was definitely a monetary decision behind this. But these days, we do have horror movies where the horror is defeated. Or at least yeah. it's, you know, it's not definitely. left as obviously open-ended. But back in the 80s, there was lots of, like, Freddy Krueger's hand coming out of the garbage pile. Or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely what the garbage pile. I don't know. I feel like I don't, there's definitely a movie that I'm picturing where somebody was buried under a bunch oh, of yeah. something. It's very common. And a hand came out. Yeah. Street Fighter is one of those movies, actually. <laughs> was that a horror movie? To some. <laughs> Maybe to those who were in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. And... Uh, Quick and pointless aside, Mm -hmm. the maker of this movie liked horror movies, and the last names of characters, let me read an assortment of them to you. Landis, De Palma, Romero, Hooper, Cronenberg. He was doing a thing. He was doing a thing. So that was just for fun. Interesting. Huh. There's your homage. That was total homage. I definitely feel like Sea Fever was more of an homage to... John Carpenter's The Thing Yeah, it was than this was clearly. to anything. This was more, let me express my love of horror in general. Yeah. Ratings. During this movie, I made a note to the effect that I was enjoying myself, that it was an okay movie. Like, it's not very good, but it was entertaining. And what I noticed about that was I feel like something that a lot of the movies we watch that are really bad are missing is coherence. Like, (laughs) yes, just a structure, a story structure that makes sense from beginning to end, even if it's dumb. Like this movie had a really stupid plot, but it had rising action and things came together and connected with other things and it all made sense. And I think that's when you get those Netflix originals. They're like, here's a bunch of really well-written, smart things that don't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And it's garbage. And this is the other way around where, you know, some very simple structure was created and followed. And it makes sense. And your brain likes that. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. In other news, the music we were hearing during the 
party scenes in the frat, I had the sudden realization that, oh yeah, we only kept the good music from the 80s (laughs) today, because that's just some trash. It was pretty bad. (laughs) There were times where I was like, what is this? Like, I have never heard this song ever. That's the reason. Yeah. So it's funny to think just how much more music there was, and we just all let it go. (laughs) I think about that with movies sometimes. Because yeah. I think about how many movies come out in a in a year Lots. that I don't bother to go see, that nobody likes, you know, things that get panned. And I'm like, oh, that's been happening forever. <laughs> Ever since movies started, yeah. there have been, you know, we think about the, the famous ones, but there are all of the ones that don't exist anymore because nobody bothered to save any copies of them yeah. from like the 50s. That's the 40s. so sad. It is sad. That won't happen today. We, we're going to keep all the trash around forever now. Ugh. Yeah. So what's your score? Knowing that I enjoyed it, but also found it quite dumb. And I haven't mentioned it all. Special effects were really good. It was very impressive. I mean, some, some dumb For stuff. the 80s. But yeah, like the, the dead serial killer, that was very impressive. Mm-hmm. Full of holes and whatnot. The dog. Yeah, poor dog. Oh, Except the pile of slugs at the end of the movie. That was the worst thing I've ever seen. That was terrible. They had clearly run out of money. Yeah. So anyway, the point is, I have to come up with a number, and it's impossible to do so. So I'm just going to throw out some random numbers. 7, 43, 19, 3 out of 5 lawnmowers. Hmm. 3 out of 5. I don't know, guys. Don't trust that review. It doesn't mean anything. I am rating this exactly the same. Yeah. And for roughly the same reasons. Like, I feel like three is the only number you can give to a movie (laughs) that doesn't really do anything super well, but doesn't do anything super badly. It's just right in the middle of the road. It definitely had some things that were okay. Like you said, I think you made a great point with with the distinction between exciting chaos versus... You know, like that tried and true, but organized, structured writing. So there was nothing exciting about it, but you could trust that it was going to move from point A to point B to point C, and you were going to get a whole story out of it. So, yeah, three out of five. Three out of five lawnmowers. It would be a good movie to watch, like, if you were having a movie marathon on Halloween with mixed company, you know. because. Sure. There's nothing super, super offensive about it. There's nothing super, super gory. Like, it's definitely a horror movie, but it's not like... You're not asking anybody to watch House of a Thousand Corpses. Sorry, Colin. (laughs) I like that you stick that into every single podcast we do. It's my new goal to mention that movie in every podcast. No, like, it's, it's just... It's not like that. It's not Scare House. Mm-hmm. Which you would have to be careful who you show it to yeah, or you're going to lose sure. friends. <laughs> yeah. But it also was no, like, Train to Busan or <laughs> Tigers Are Not Afraid. Like, this movie is not was not going to win awards. It probably did win awards, actually, so long. I mean, awards from the 80s, though. <laughs> Do those really count? <laughs> no. <laughs> Except the trophy I got in soccer for being on the team. Oh, that's adorable. Our team won zero games. Literally zero. I feel like you could make an 80s movie about that. Yeah, except there's no triumphant ending. We did get to have a pizza party where we got the trophies. There you go. 
That's all you need. I feel like there were multiple movies in the 80s made about teams exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. The pizza was so good. It was round table. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so that's that. We're just giving this a very solid three all around. And we're going to leave it there. And we'll come back next time with a different movie. One of these days, we should do the same movie, and that would be weird. That would freak people out. It freaks me out just thinking about it. You know what's funny? What? Is I feel like if we waited like a week, I could possibly give an entirely different review for the exact same movie. Because I am pulling all of this stuff right out of my ear. Interesting choice. Okay. We'll see what happens. Okay. Next week when we review this movie again. <laughs> said a whole bunch of different inappropriate words.